When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Custom Inc. is an awesome way to recognize employees, thank customers, and outfit your teams with their favorite products and brands customized with your logo. CustomInc.com lets you make your mark on water bottles, backpacks, polos, jackets, and a ton more. Custom Inc. is your go-to custom gear partner with great customer service, quality products, and all-in pricing along with personalized help when you need it and an easy-to-use website when you don't. Oh yeah, and everything is 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Check out what we can do for your business at CustomInc.com. You're listening to a Castaway Media Podcast. Find more great shows on our website, castaway.media. Hello, and welcome to episode 21 of Podorona. I am uh, under a duvet right now because I want to get a really good sound for this intro. I've just listened to uh, Andrew Mangan's podcast, 738AM, his episode interviewing Mark Marin, and it's absolutely brilliant. So if you, uh, if, you, uh, if you want to have a listen to that, do, but don't listen to it until you've finished listening to this, okay? I... Um, had a message from a, a fellow called Kieran in Australia who listens to my podcast and he gave me a little bit of advice. He said I should be a little more lively in the intro. So I'm taking your advice, Kieran, and I'm being a little more lively here, okay? Um, see what I've been doing during the week. I was down in Caris Iveen for a, uh, for a, oh God, for a court case actually and, uh, and uh, everything worked out there. But... Um, I decided to go for a walk while I was there and I googled walks in Caris Ivine and they came up with a thing called the Benti Walk, the Benti Loop it was called. It said uh, about uh, three to four hours which I reckoned was uh, probably about two hours because as we all know with the official times for walks they make uh, leeway for people who have one leg or who have... robotic legs or things, uh, robots in general, because we all know robots like to go for a ramble. So I prepared for my walk by taking off my uh, normal shoes and putting on a pair of soft running shoes, buying a small bottle of water in the spa and making sure my phone was half charged. And uh, I ticked all those boxes, the hiking boxes, those three uh, very important hiking boxes and I set off for my ramble through the country lanes and it became a mossy path then and then a rambling meander and a meandering rambling path through little kind of Lord of the Rings type woods with moss and incredible flowers. Flowers is the botanical name for these plants that have have brightly coloured bits on the end of them and then there were other things uh, made of wood bit like a chair but with leaves on them and uh, it was all going very well then I went back onto a lane and then I uh, saw a signpost that pointed me upwards a bit and at this point I'm going well just bloody hell this thing is nearly over by now I'd say and uh, I'll be back in Tars I mean within the hour uh, this arrow pointed me up a bit and I went up a bit and 
went slightly out of breath uh, and then it started to descend again. I thought, well, that's it, we're on our way back. And then I got to a forest that blocked the path and the only way to go was to go more upwards, except it wasn't really a path and there was no signpost, but I decided I'd do it. I saw the top of the hill and I said, I'll go for it. It's not really a path, but I'll go for it. I'll go around the back of the forest and then I'll start to descend back into Catersavine. So I did, I went for it. I went for the top of the hill, but when I got to the top of the hill, it wasn't the top of the hill. There was another top of the hill further on and I went for that. And that wasn't the top of the hill either. And I, I went three or four times towards the top of a hill and the back of the forest to which I wanted to go around and it never was the top of the hill or the back of the forest and I was getting a little bit crazy and out of breath and started imagining that some big huge mythical ram of a goat was going to suddenly appear over the top of the hill and butt me to the ground with its horns and do something paganistic to me or something um, and uh, Eventually, after three or four times not getting to the top of the hill, I felt slightly alone and in the middle of nowhere with a half or probably quarter charged phone at this stage and no signal. So I decided I'll go back down. I'll go back down. I felt ashamed and humiliated by the mountain and I went and scampered back down, scampered all the way, walked a little bit, then scampered again, got to the back down to the lane, followed my footsteps backwards. And then I saw this signpost lying on the ground that I'd missed. And it was pointing me to a different way up the hill. And I thought, that's it. That's the Benty Walk. I'm going to do this feckin' loop. I'm not going home. I'm going to go for it. I know I've wasted half an hour going the wrong way, but feckin', I'm going to do it. So it sent me upwards, more and further, further upwards, and just as far as I'd done beside the forest, but further and further, and it began to get weirder and weirder, and the ground started getting boggier and stranger, and I got higher and the grass began to look in parts red. It was red. Bits of red grass and purple heather. So I'm walking through purpley red ground and I'm getting higher and higher. And every time I stopped to look back, the view was incredible. It was just like getting like into mountains and lakes and things called rivers and all sorts of... It was beautiful. I was getting higher and higher and I was going, yes, and then I got to the very top... And I could see on both sides of this mountain and on the other view was even more magnificent. It was inlets and islands and stretching off into the distance. Lots of just carriness in the distance. And the wind from the other side was very strong and was blowing my face and my hair all over the place. And uh, uh, the purpley heather and the red grass. And then these I heard this strange noise like a... Like a, a computerized rised noise, like and I looked up and there was this black bird swooping around over one area, two of them in fact, and I had this awful thought that one of them might just attack me, and I kept going, and I was a little bit scared, and then I saw multicolored sheep they were they had blue and red and purple dye on them, and it was amazing and everything, and it was fantastic and the view and the wind and the bird and the multicolored sheep and the red grass and the purple heather was all fantastic but at this point I was going I really wish this loop started actually looping I'm just going further up higher and higher I want to loop back I want to go home not quite that bad but I was thinking and the spots of rain started and the wind was really rising up and then I wasn't sure that the little spar bottle of water was going to last and that 
my phone was of any use at this stage, and so it did begin to descend at last, and eventually I descended down through strange, boggy land that had, like, these long kind of cracks in the ground, like an ancient earthquake or something, and... Uh, and I uh, had thoughts that I'd just fall in one but I didn't and I went all the way down and I passed a few donkeys and I got further down and then I passed this gully which was amazing these like kind of streams way down in a kind of a gully but just very narrow with trees growing in the gully and the tops the gully's so deep that you're walking along the side of it and you're looking down on the tops of these hazel trees um, that amazed me. It mightn't amaze you, but it amazed me. And I got down to a road then that was a road that had tarmac adam on it and, and stones. And uh, everywhere, bes- along the hedge, there was like wild fuchsia everywhere, just growing everywhere. These lovely red, drippy, bell-type flowers and then these other orangey ones. Just growing wild up along the ditches, and I've never seen that before. And that was—I was amazed by that. And uh, eventually, I got back to to Cahir uh, Savine, and I went in the wrong direction for a while as well. And and it took me uh, five hours the whole thing. <laughs> and then I had a pint in Mick Murty's. Now I didn't mention who's going to be on the show today. Well, it's going to be Des Bishop. I should have mentioned that at the top, really, so that I could hold your attention but it's the amazing Des Bishop who I met at the electric picnic and he agreed to come into the studio and we talked about many things including reminiscing about the old uh, international bar comedy club and the club I used to run called the Mad Cow Comedy Club but it's all in the podcast so have a listen Thanks for coming in. So uh, I I've listened actually to your interview, your talk with Jarlath. So who kind oh, of, so you you have to be different to Jarlath? Is uh, that the thing? Well, I just say I don't know if we want to go over all that ground again. I mean, uh, you know, nah, because whatever, man. <laughs> like you 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 were an integral part of the beginning of my career. So if you want to do that thing where you relate it back, you know, the way people some people have the skill of relating everything back to themselves as if they have something to do with it. Yeah, if you yeah, want to yeah. do it that way, you I can could do say that. that. I could do that. And then you, you're an integral. And part then I of, change your life. Yeah, you, well, you, you, it, but to be honest, Joe, in a way you did. But I it was did. really Bob Riley. Yeah, go into that again. What's that? So, the history of the international is always told as if Ardle, Barry, and Kevin started the comedy cell, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And then that spawned this, you know, the the Irish comedy scene, which is you know largely true in that the comedy cellar, you know, was sort of an integral part of Irish comedy development. But mm-hmm. nobody knows that when the comedy cellar got so popular that you took a Thursday night. Mm-hmm called it the Mad Cow Comedy Club That's right, yeah. and was hoping to get the spillover from all the people that couldn't get in on the Wednesday. Wasn't that sort of... Yeah. That, that was, was sort of it. Thing, yeah. But they just weren't coming back, were they? <laughs> <laughs> they just weren't coming back on the Thursday. And uh, I think after a while, you just got a pain in your hole with it, right? I don't well, want to tell your history. No, it's just that uh, running a comedy club probably just isn't my thing. I mean, I, I did it, like a lot of people do it, to get stage time. Yeah, because yeah. if you run a comedy club, you're the, you're the compare. Basically, yeah. or or you can book yourself, whatever. Actually, I have a question. And, can I ask you? Yeah. I, I, I I don't want to change it around, but I'm really curious because when I started, right? So I started in 97. Mm-hmm. And to me, you were like one of the veterans then. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, like guys, look at you. Were, you yeah. were Father Damo, right? So that was like a big deal. I even I remember booking that. you in nine. I booked you in '98 in UCC, and that was like a big deal. Everybody was excited by the fact that I knew you because right. I had met you doing a couple of open mics in Dublin. Right? Oh, okay. But I'm curious, how did you perceive? Because you just said I did it to get to stage time, right? But it, I, so, how did you perceive yourself at that time? No, as a stand-up, I was only starting out because what I'd done before that was a double act and character stuff. Yeah, the quack I, I did a double act with Paul Tylek. And uh, that was going well. But then Paul became bigger and getting stuff on TV. And I felt a bit, fuck this, man. I'm being, oh. you know, I'm getting fuck all here out of this. And uh, and I started doing stand-up. But I was about 30 yes. when I started doing stand-up. Oh, really? Yeah. So, and it took me a while. I was used to doing characters. And it just took me a while to uh, hear my own voice, just be be me. Yeah, yeah, on stage, yeah. just be me. It's funny because I, I, I thought at that time I thought you were like a veteran, <laughs> yeah. right? But here's here's the thing that's more important to what you did for me, yeah. rather than just the fact that eventually you you just got sick of running the Thursday nights, mm. and I took it over. Mm-hmm. But actually, I always use this as an example to people, you know, because other people over the years would bug me about me not giving them like spots, or some guys would ring me and be like, "Can I headline?" You know, they're like, can you headline the international? <laughs> like, yeah, what, yeah, you mean, yeah. You mean, do you, do you mean, can you happen to go on last? Like, there's no headliner. Nobody's buying tickets to see you. you know yeah, yeah, I mean? yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. anyway. Yeah, there was, there's a lot of uh, people just want to make it straight away. Straight but this thing that you did, right? So yeah. you were one of the first people to give me spots on the Thursday, mm-hmm. right? But you gave me a 20-minute spot, and I stank it up. Yeah. And the next time you said, I'm only going to give you 10. You're not ready for a 20, which was like a dagger in my heart. But nobody had done that before. Nobody had kind of like demoted me. Yeah. You know, so I was like, the next time I go into that place, I'm going to fucking show this guy. <laughs> but All that's right. a good thing. So, and I yeah. always give people that example later on when they gave me a hard time or they gave Aiden a hard time when he was booking the international later on. Uh-huh. It's like, look, you're going to take this as an insult, but like it's important because, yeah. you know, you, you, there's just standards here and you yeah, got yeah, yeah, yeah. to live up to them. Yeah. You, oh, okay. you were the first person to do that to me. I also, you had, from, from the get go, you had this stage presence. And uh, I think you were just at the beginning, you were lacking material. But but you had when you came on stage, you owned it, you know. Yeah. And that's you've always had that from the get go. You know? Yeah. I mean, I guess I guess. But that's like either innate or something. Maybe you don't see that in yourself. But I guess guys notice. But I do. I mm. do think I'm not criticizing my own abilities, but I do think that there was an element of just natural sort of like a New York style that I had not like a New York attitude but just like maybe those American comedians that I saw when I was growing up mm. it was like in there so mm-hmm. it was just like a natural thing to be like a bit of a big energy on stage mm. but there wasn't a lot of that there wasn't a lot. See, that was I thought it was a breath of fresh air because a lot of the stand-ups were getting on and just standing there and it was a bit moany or something mm, maybe yeah well you got I guess you had guys like Carl McDermott who were really funny but, he was in my head there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they were really <laughs> funny. But there was this sense of like, uh, life's, life sucks comedy, which yeah. is like absolutely fine. Like that stuff is funny. But sometimes you can get this kind of over, like oversaturation of a certain type of comedian. Yeah, so yeah. So it's yeah, nice. Yeah. I mean, even like when you're booking shows over the years, like I just like to have a, have a good variety. So I yeah. think when I came in, whatever about the lack of material, which was definitely there. And obviously there was the other thing of that I knew a lot about Ireland, even though people thought I was just some yank. Mm. But I do think that there was just a, a, a New York thing that, that stood out. 
because I've noticed I've been in New York all summer gigging a lot mm. and it's going great. I mean, I have great spots and, you know, mm. I, don't, I don't find it that tough. But what I do notice is that, like, there's a lot of people like me, <laughs> you know, like, so there's a different thing that I have to be. You know, I mean, it's fine. I talk about China. I have my own point of difference. Yeah. But the point of difference there is definitely different to the point of difference I had when I was starting out in Ireland. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And you, you, yeah, you had that thing where you used to do Cork DJ, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the, in the first two years. It was like, there was before the immersion and all that was like. The cork DJ and the beatbox. That was brilliant. The cork accent. It was. I mean, those. Listen, man. If I could go back, like I, I did the electric picnic on Sunday, and it was fine, but I wasn't like super happy with it. Yeah. But I often wish, like, I kind of sometimes wish, because for those kind of gigs, you need that real crowd pleasing, almost kind of uh, simple stuff. Yeah, for the for the, uh, yeah, music gigs. Like yeah, it's yeah. Where you're doing comedy at the music. I, gig. I sometimes I mm. I'd love to go back to the simplicity of those times where you had just four or five killer routines that. <laughs> You know, every time you performed, nobody knew who you were, and you were just, "What's this guy gonna be like?" And then you knew you you could go out there with your cork DJ and your, your, the. I used to have this rap about like the Dublin accent. Yeah. And like, listen, I would be embarrassed to do it now, but man, I would. I knew they were always gonna work. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I think a lot of acts starting out get this killer thing that they always close on, but some of them just never move away from it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> just in general comedy terms. Like running the international for all those years, the one thing there was a lot of guys that were great open spots that never progressed. Mm. You know, a lot of guys that just had like this killer seven minutes. Mm. But then, and and I got really excited about them. I thought, great, you know, because people mm. forget. Like back then, you know, late nineties, early two thousands, the biggest problem with running the international was finding acts. There just wasn't a lot of good acts. Yeah, there just wasn't true. a lot of comedians. That's true. People, and the bad acts were the guys who always rang you uh, the <laughs> next day. <laughs> you know, uh, when can I get my next? Gig and you're like fuck. The good guys were who busy. Wouldn't, they, well, they didn't even bother. They were lazy as well. They, a lot of the good guys are lazy guys who don't bother ringing. Yeah, I find well, you know, especially back in those. Yeah, I think back in those. It, like, it so, like Patrick really... McDonald, for example, he lived in a flat, uh, <laughs> uh, and the ha- and his only phone was the one in the hole. <laughs> Beep so boop. you got to ring. Beep boop. You pick up the phone and you get the payphone sound. You beep boop. Beep boop. Or this alcoholic guy you live. Hello. Can you get Patrick McDonald from me? Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, yeah. What's up? What's up? Oh, was, I, was I too uh, loud? The, just in case this stays that was in. Very subtle, Andrew. The tech, the ta- the technician, the producer. The, what, what, what is your title? The, is it the mime artist. The guy. The guy has just walked in to fix something. <laughs> Did some miming. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, uh, but I mean, listen, man. Look, we could get seriously nostalgic about how different it was all back then. Mm, Not everybody mm, had a mobile. No. You had one. I had one. Yeah. There was but, one guy. I don't know want to. You don't want to name names, him, but he had a. He had a very bad speech impediment, and he and uh, it was very hard to understand what he was saying. Yeah, but he was a big ringer, and he'd come in every. Yeah, he would never stop. He would never. In. He rang for years, man. Yeah, he rang for years. I inherited that from you. I can he, tell you. You know that guy. But uh, and then listen, one, he's a nice yeah. guy. I used no, to see him nice around guy. for yeah, years, yeah, and yeah. I don't want to. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it is tough, you know, because I'm not a critic, you know. But mm, some mm. acts just weren't great, mm. you know. Yeah, but they were nice guys. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. And you weird know, guy. Yeah, like Coleman Pig. Higgins was a weird guy. What a fans. guy! <laughs> Coleman Higgins, like we're both thinking about it. We always say Coleman Higgins was a weird guy. He never did great on stage, but there was, there was something. I used to book him because he was a nice guy as an open spot, though only. It was, a, it was only the comics who were laughing most of the time, but the yeah. comics loved him. Yeah, 
So we photocopied some more. <laughs> That's the punchline. I can't keep it bag. What? I had a sleeping bag and uh, it woke up and it was just a bag. <laughs> That's a good joke, actually. kind of good. That is a good joke. It's kind of good. And then he wrote a book where he went on a travels uh, across Route 66 or something around Iran. Did you ever read his no. book? Was it he good? went off for like six months traveling, backpacking through Iran and Tibet and all those things. And it's an interesting book because if you know Coleman Higgins, you go, what the fuck's he doing out there? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's going to get himself killed. You know? But I always found in conversation he was much more impressive than you could sort of dismiss yeah. him because he had this silly character on stage. But in conversation, yeah. he was pretty smart. Yeah, he's he's smart actually guy. good taste in comedy. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was an interesting guy. It's hard. To, I and guess Peter Keatings. Oh, Peter Keatings. Peter Keatings. <laughs> yeah. I always thought Dracula was really well turned out for somebody who couldn't see his reflection in the mirror, <laughs> yeah. which is a great joke. And he's got great gags. He's yeah. got, um, he talks about ZZ Top. He said, well, he, he talked about a lot of these young bands have very low expectations in women. Now, ZZ Top weren't a young band at the time, but uh, he's going, uh, you know that she's got legs and she knows how to use them. The ability to walk is a must. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, a lot of guys had great jokes and they yeah, wouldn't yeah. drive it up. But yeah, Peter Keatings was a character. Now he's still around, like he's a lawyer, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't want to yeah. libel anybody, but he was he was a character. He was yeah, a kind of yeah. uh, he was a, a legend amongst us. I think the comedians because yeah. we got such a kick out of him because oh, he was yeah. an odd guy. Yeah. But yeah. in fairness to Peter Keatings, I used to give him full spots. I mean, he was he was able to hold his own. He's great gags. Yeah, he was he he was able to 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 do a proper gig. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, man, I mean, they were great days. I'm sure that amongst the younger generation of comedians now, and there's like a good scene out there, but there's a lot more gigs than there used to be. Mm. I'm sure there's the same thing, the same characters. But I do feel, I think everyone looks back and thinks, oh, nostalgia. It, there was a bit more camaraderie, I think, in our day. That, yeah, that, but I guess because there was so few. I mean, yeah, there I mean, was so few. Yeah, so. it was like a society. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was so few. I mean, I remember even getting, um, Barry Murphy obviously would be the, ringleader here and getting everyone together and agreeing on a price and saying we're not going to go below this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ability to do that even is strange. I know. I mean, it's not that kind of thing. I mean, it's a, it's an individual art form. It's, it's basically the idea that we actually got together and formed some kind of a union is very unusual because it's, it's not like that really. But I think all scenes like, cause I, so I was in Beijing for two years, right? So Mm. I became involved in this, essentially open mic scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I was running a headliner gig. I was getting guys that were touring China and I would sort of pick them off and they'd come to Beijing and do mm-hmm. a proper gig. But then the rest of the time, there was like a Wednesday night open mic and there was all these guys like Dublin in the yeah. late 80s, like before I got involved, but certainly when I started in 97, there was like a collection of guys, but it was small, mostly men. And I saw that in Beijing too, but there is an import, like they had the same sense of importance that we had back then. Yeah which was greater than our abilities or greater than what was happening. But it yeah, is yeah. funny how people, there has to be a time where that changes. I think that changed in Dublin mm. naturally, which was fine, but it hadn't changed in Beijing. And it was interesting to see it, the guys feeling like that they were part of this massive thing, where in actual mm. fact, they're part of just a couple of gigs. Yeah, yeah, I know. And the excitement about stand-up, because I was talking to Daniel Sloth on Saturday, and uh, he's done a lot of gigs in Eastern Europe, and he's saying like, he would go to Estonia and just storm it like he felt like a god because uh, 
they just it's a new art form it's a new yeah. thing to them and yeah. just he's coming along and going and basically even uh, he was doing his, his good material and that was doing okay but when he started ad-libbing it just stormed it and that's because basically they're all going on YouTube and they've seen every single thing he's done yeah. on YouTube yeah. so then when he just starts messing around and, and they love that oh my god but that's what, like, that's what it was like in China for me yeah if yeah. I was ad-libbing like they were just like blown away yeah, because none yeah. of them can do that. You know, that's like a skill that comes with time. Yeah, and yeah none of them have yeah. the time under their belt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty exciting, though, when it when it's just starting out. It must be like that in China now. It is like that, that in China now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. it was like that back then. You know, yeah, guys, yeah, from, a lot of journalists would be hanging out in the international, like part of this emerging thing. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. and uh, Brian Boyd. Brian Boyd was hanging out. The hot press guys were hanging out. You know, you know, Dar you know, Darty used to hang out. Now he's like a right wing. Now he's like on TV last night yeah. on Clever and Live, and I didn't see it, but I see the tweets like. He's like talking about like, you know, you know, right wing stuff and refugees and yeah, and saying just like typical leftish, you know, like he's just that voice of the right. But he used to hang out in the international all the time. Yeah. And and you get reviews like I'm a Brian Boyd, I mean, has given me back then the most ridiculous reviews, like I'm a comedy god, this kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> And I was shit. I was average, you know, yeah. just starting out, you know. But we did a lot of student gigs back then and like Abra 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 Kababra. Oh, where people that, reach that, out and stab you. That would that stuff would storm. It would storm, yeah. Couldn't do it on TV, of course. I'd be no, sued. but we had the we had the Carol's Comedy <laughs> Club back then, man. Carol's giving out free cigarettes. Yeah, Carol, to we were doing we were doing gigs for Carol's Carol's cigarette, uh, going around to students, mostly yeah. institutes of technology, or they, they were probably still called techs back then. Yeah, and uh, they, they would literally give out cigarettes at the show. Carol cigarettes. If yeah. you've ever you've never smoked, but. They're the worst cigarettes ever. Yeah, I never smoked. And Patrick McDonald, bring him up again, didn't smoke, but he's so stingy. He was given he was get, given free cigarettes for every show, so he took up smoking <laughs> while he was getting free cigarettes, rather than give them to someone who'd actually smoked. But they were great times, man. I I, uh, I consider yeah. I consider myself to be really lucky when I started because. That was fun, man. Traveling around Ireland, doing those shows. Yeah. It was, it was good fun. And, yeah. you know, I feel that there's not as many. There's more opportunities in Dublin. I think in all the big cities, there's probably more opportunities to get on stage. Yeah. But there's not as many opportunities to have, have those experiences that we had. You know? Yeah. Like the Carol's Comedy Tour and just going to those colleges. Like staying in those, that cool B&B in Tralee. The that? one in Tralee, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. One particularly Play, good room pool. with a four-poster bed. Yeah, yeah and a four-poster bed, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I may or may not have had relations I'm with sure one of the promoters. I'm sure you were in there. <laughs> I know her name. So, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Okay, but... I met our daughter recently. Her daughter's 21. <laughs> <laughs> what happened there? <laughs> anyway, we won't talk about it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Wait for another twenty years, then yeah, the grand it was good times. Okay, I, I mean, I'm sure yeah. some of the younger comedians now would think that it was easier then, but I think it's not. I think there's there's pros and cons on both sides. I think it's easier now to get stage time, and and you've got a lot more access to. It's a lot easier to to see comedy now online. You know, like mm. it was actually hard to get videos of comics, other mm. than like Bill Hicks was always available. Mm. Eddie Izzard's videos were available. Not that much else, you know? Mm, that's true, actually. It kind of yeah. came just, just at the turn of, like, I guess Tommy was doing his DVDs, but there just wasn't as much well, around. Actually, yeah, because I remember when we started out, um, uh, the, the, the cellar you're talking about when, when Ardell and, and Kevin and Barry were doing it, we didn't even know exactly how to do stand-up. 
we were just winging it and not really sure, no, no stagecraft and that kind of thing. You yeah. know, we're just kind of winging it. So we came out, I think we came up with really odd. There was a lot more variety then in the acts. Yeah, but because, I, think, I think that might yeah. be why, which kind of contradicts something we said earlier, but yeah. I think that might be why a lot of the Irish guys did well when they went to the UK because they were quite unique. They were very unique, unique, yeah. They didn't come yeah. out. It was definitely different to what was coming out of London. It was definitely different to what was coming out of the UK comedy club. Yeah, everyone that went over had a different style. So you had Sean Hughes, and he did his kind of Morrissey-type vibe. But did there. Sean Hughes come out of the international? No, he went over. He was, he was in a double act called the Short and Curlies, actually, and uh, they used to support a band I was in called Guernica. And uh, then they split up, and he... I saw him do one gig in Dublin in the... Uh, Liberty, what you call building down there, um, and that in was the Tivoli. It. The what you call the Liberty, the Liberty Hall. Liberty Hall. Oh, in that yeah. theatre there. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, he wore an iron jumper and kind of did a Chanel type song or whatever. But anyway, he w just went to London. Yeah. I mean, there was there were other guys before the international. There was Michael Redmond, of course. Yeah. Kevin McAleer. I didn't see them in Dublin either. They were before my time. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But then the international yeah. guys did well abroad. And Barry would have been an international sensation if he could have been bothered. Yeah. Personally, in my opinion. I know, he could have I been. still think he's probably the funniest guy of all the, the guys that I've come across, but he just can't be bothered. I know, can he? he can't be bothered. No. Which is great, because every yeah. now and then he just comes out with a little gem, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Creates yeah. some brilliant sketch show, you know, does it for a couple of years and then... Yeah. Does a golf club or two? <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> Does all the corporate stuff? Yeah, it's yeah. just a mad career. <laughs> Cleans up. Yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah, anyway yeah. I don't want to start talking yeah. about it because it, it's pure. It's purely from love. Yeah. Mm. Well, listen. I was listening to you talking about your stuff. I mean, everybody kind of knows about you. You, you came over to Ireland. You were fourteen. Blah, 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 blah. But I was. Th I heard you say something that your mother said. Your mother said that you were always going to be a mess somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, did I, I don't know I, in did how much detail did I explain that story when you yeah, heard you it. Just but just kind of mentioned, you came yeah. out with that phrase. And I thought, well, that's because that? she had just said it to me. I mean, I guess I asked. I mean, she has a lot of guilt about sending me to Ireland, even though yeah. I asked to go, you know? Yeah. Uh, but then years later, I guess she had a lot of guilt. And, you know, I have to say, like, in, in hindsight, in retrospect, I think it was fucking mad, you know, to, yeah. to be in this other place so young. Now... I explained when I was saying it to Jarlath, I was explaining that I was probably getting bullied, but you know, that language didn't exist back then. And, mm -hmm. you know, like I, at the end of the day, I was made to feel like I did something wrong. Like I was doing plenty wrong, but in terms of getting kicked out of school, I really actually didn't do that much wrong. I was getting bullied and there's a lot of stress. And I kind of just like my grades went down, which I think now when you look at the bullying handbook, mm. like kid gets bullied, grades drop is like number one symptom of yeah. bullying, right? Yeah. So, but I didn't know that at the time, so I just felt like I'm. This is all because of me. Now I was doing other bad shit outside of school, uh, mm. but anyway, because I got caught drinking twice, uh, my cousin. Did, I don't know if I explained this, but my Fiona. No, 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 no. 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 <laughs> that, that, she gave me the reason to go to Ireland, but this is why my mother ended up saying, "You were so." So I asked her recently. Let me go back and explain the story properly. I asked okay. her recently, and she said, "You know, to be honest, you were so messed up." I just was convinced that you didn't have a chance, you know, that you were guaranteed to be like an alcoholic drug addict. Yeah. So I just thought it would be better for you to go through it in Ireland. You see, my mother's parents were bad alkies. 
My mother thinks everybody's an alcoholic. Like, my mother has a super paranoia about alcoholism because yeah. she's seen so much destruction from alcohol yeah. in her life. My father was an alcoholic. Like, her whole life has been saturated in alcoholism. She's one herself. So I just think she just thought I had a 100% chance of destroying my life with parents booze. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, <laughs> so she just thought, I guess in a way, at the time, the stress of this, like, where are we going to send Des to school? She just thought maybe I'd be safer going through it in Ireland. Mm. Which is kind of weird because she just unloaded me on my cousins, right? Mm. So, but in her defense, right, around that time, maybe within the sort of few years that that happened, my my oldest cousin, like my grandmother had 17 grandchildren, mm. and the oldest one had a bad problem with cocaine. And, you know, it was a family drama, you know? I even remember the day that he came in to tell us. You know, it was like, it's so funny, my... My, my mother and her sisters, they're all so like, they, like the, the drama, like our family's all drama. So to add to the drama, even though it was completely unnecessary, they thought it would be a good idea for my cousin, who's just discovered that he has a massive problem with cocaine, to go and tell all of us, you know, yeah. like as if somehow that would help us. So I remember mm. the day that he came in and he sat us down and he said, I remember he said, you guys know what cocaine is? And me being the wider, as I was like, no, what is it? <laughs> Yeah. And he goes, don't be a wise ass. Right? So this is supposed to be this like <laughs> this big confrontation, right? And then he was like, I have a problem with cocaine and I'm going for help, you know? Like, And it was like this big family drama that didn't need to be as big a drama as it was. So suddenly we're all involved in the fact that he has a problem with cocaine. Like we have an addict for a cousin, right? Mm. So, but anyway, because of that, like there was a lot of stress, you know, like that we were all going to end up screwed up. So she said to me that she didn't want me to end up like my cousin. So mm. it would be safer for me to go to... Ireland, mm. right? That just in every way, shape, and form, it would be a safer place. And mm. it was 50% true. I mean, I, I got a much better, better education for coming here. Mm. You know, I went to boarding school, supervised study, Irish history, man. I just like yeah. loved it. You know, like I never cared. Go ahead. But just I'm thinking about it. My daughter is 14. I just can't imagine her going to another country. It's just. I know, it's weird, right? I would find that it would break my heart if yeah. she's gone. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Well, I guess, I guess you know, also there's a few different things, right? Like mm. America just being the melting pot that it is, there's this huge connection to Ireland that we felt, even though my mother was born in America, mm. right? Uh, but my dad had grown up in Ireland, even though he was like sort of a half and half between the UK and Ireland, but he wasn't American. Uh, you know, there was a, particularly with my dad, there was like a real nostalgia for like a longing for Ireland mm. because his mother was also a paranoid schizophrenic, yeah. diagnosed later on, like beat the shit out, like horrible stuff, went to jail. Like he, my dad's life is horrific, right? So... My dad got peace in Ireland, you know, like he would leave the like they were in the UK. Then he'd come to Ireland for years to get away from her and he'd have peace and love it. So mm. I think for my dad, it was like, yeah, send him to Ireland, man. That's where I found peace. You know, yeah. so so I think his mother attacked him with a knife. Or yeah, yeah. Well, that I wrote all about that in the book. There's yeah. no great secret there. But she, yeah. it turned yeah. out she I mean, it's a pity in modern day times. She would just be yeah. mentally ill and she would get treated. Mm. But mm. in the end, she had a lobotomy. It was a like my, my, my grandmother's story really? is horrific. Like, I will never do Who Do You Think You Are? Like, on both sides of the family, it's just like horror, right? So anyway, I guess for him, it was like, yeah, go to Ireland, a good idea. That was his experience, and it was positive, so he yeah. wouldn't think there's anything wrong with it. Yeah. And I think for my mother, just with so many cousins and, like, always felt so connected to Ireland, even though, in actual fact, I was, like, third generation, you know, like, yeah. it was second generation Irish they just felt like that would be a good place for me to go. Cool. You know, I mean, they were really worried about me. I guess, yeah. I guess I was showing some, like I was doing graffiti and stuff. I guess it just, they felt that it could go either way mm. with me. Mm. 
I personally feel I probably would have been all right. I was in summer school that summer, and I was actually did okay in summer school. Like I probably had the ability to to settle down for a while, mm. but in the end, I don't regret it because those years. I mean, I'm sure there's some negatives, but those years were were really important for me. Like those years in Wexford, particularly, and yeah. just like being in boarding school. Like I learned a lot. I don't think I would have been as into education. Like I don't think I would have been as well educated had I not come to Ireland and did you were you rebelling against your parents at the time as well I don't don't even know no I don't know people say that but I always wonder how are you so aware of what you're doing I I was Mm. just mad like I was just uh, well our house was very stressful you know it's very hard to say because my my parents were not very strict like in the sort of don't do this don't do that sense Mm. but there's just a lot of anxiety there was a lot of stress you know my mother created a lot of stress for no reason you know, well, like when in I what way? Yeah. Oh, too many examples, man. Uh, just well, actually, it, I mentioned it in the book, but is she overprotective? I, is that what you mean? Or, no, no, man, no, no. it's hard to describe. How do you describe undiagnosed mental illness? <laughs> How do you describe that? <laughs> just I don't know. Oh, okay, I'll give you this as an example because I can't really yeah. say, particularly now, nothing comes to mind. But mm. when I look at all my friends, including my brother, and how his family is. And all the houses that I lived in, because I've lived in a lot of people's lives as a result of going to another country at 14. Mm. I've never seen anybody else create the tension that existed in our house, you know, Mm. just like the without the physical abuse, because I think people who grew up in physical abuse have a thing, right, which is just the, you know, is it is is it coming down to pipe? Right. Mm -hmm. But so put that to the side because we didn't really have that. Just that sense of like, what's she going to be like now? vibe was there like all the time you know what i mean and at the time you don't know you actually think you're doing stuff wrong you know but like now i look and i just go oh my god these these are all just kids (laughs) you know like they're just Mm. being kids but it was like chaos in there you know it was like a lot of noise and just a lot of a lot of tension you know so uh i guess that was coming from your mother and then your father i mean because your father obviously had given up as you said in in the book a, a life to be a father you yeah know, yeah he, yeah he had given that up and did you ever get the feeling that he had any resentment towards well towards having a family <laughs> you know what I mean because, I mean I don't know if he had resentment like, he had regrets like, like I know I and yeah, that kind of drags me around as well the looking after my kids and knowing there's another part of me going well I'm ignoring my career as well yeah and and going back and forth and then uh, looking after my career career and thinking oh shit I should be with the kids you yeah well the I mean? one thing that I got with the one thing that I got from my dad being sick is that mm. it all that mattered to him in the end was his family mm. like all that I mean it's easy to say because I'm just looking at it as an observer I don't have kids of my own and I know that I would have the same struggles in terms of like the sacrifices I was making for my children because I'm so obsessed with my career. Mm. But I know in the end it's not what matters. Like it really doesn't matter. We think it matters because that's the you know, we're surrounded by people who put just a huge importance on it. But really what mattered to him in the end was his, his kids and his wife and his family. And mm. Sure, him and my mother fought. And like here I am criticizing my mother, but that's just like she had a horrible, you know, like she had sure. a tough life. She did what she did. Like, it's all fine now. You know, like we're actually looking after her now at the moment. Like, it's all fine. I, I can speak mm. honestly about what it was like when we were younger without saying, like, my mother's a bad person. Like, I'm not saying my mother's a bad person. I'm just saying, like, how that experience was for me. Mm. But now I can tell you that, like, what really matters is family. Like, the one thing I've taken out of my dad being sick and just getting a bit older is that, you know, we probably, 
don't talk about that enough that actually what really matters is our relationships and like mm. ambition and all that is super important but in the end when you're dying you really are not thinking about how how much money you left behind. I mean I guess you're worried about that for my dad it was just all about being around his family that's all that matters mm. so I think the payoff will come later on yeah you know maybe you didn't play to O2 <laughs> <laughs> but, oh no it's really important my, my relationship with, with my kids very important yeah well all my fr- like I can see it now like I'm, f- I'm nearly 40 and I don't have kids and I can feel it. And it's not that sense of I want to be like my friends. But you can just see that I personally think it's innate. Some people would say otherwise. But I can see that that's where you should be at like as a human being. Like yeah. I, I, I do think so. I think – I'm not saying my life I is – I have no problem with my relationship with my kids. But I have had problems with my relationships with women. Yeah. Oh, me too. Yeah, well, so. that's, a big, that's a big issue with me. It's that's a separate fun. podcast. You want to get into that? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, how how has that manifested? Like, because I've not seen you that much. Where I've, I know you had one long-time girlfriend. Yeah. I've not seen you with anyone else since. Yeah, well, have? I haven't been around. I've had, I've had a few reasonable ones, reasonable length ones since then. Yeah. Uh, yeah, not my strong point. I mean, I think there's two elements to that. One, I think, is we travel all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's not ideal. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you say this without... Um, I don't know, man. I just, I have to say, that would not be my, my, my strongest area, you know? I, uh, but is that something, what would I would say, do you need a, yeah, you say you, you do, it. you do need a relationship, you do need. Well, I'm in one now. Yeah. But she's, she's lives in China. She's just gone back. <laughs> yeah. You know, she just went back yesterday morning. Oh, okay. And when we were together, I have to say it was, it was great. I mean, I think, who knows, man? I mean, I, you know, I used to be, I remember when I first stopped drinking, like the first five years of not drinking, mm. I, thought, I, I thought I knew everything about life. Like I actually thought I was like, I could be a life coach for like the world. Like I really thought I'd, life sussed. And now I just realized, well, first of all, that I didn't know shit. And now I just know that I, I, I actually have so little real life experience. I've actually, you know, stayed so little in the really tough parts, you know, like mm. relationships and parenting. You know, those are the things that are really tough. Like it's really hard to navigate those things. So I can't say whether being in a relationship is better or not. But I do think Mm. that the sacrifices, like the one you're just talking about, not just with your kids, but with a partner, whether the relationship succeeds or not, I Mm. think navigating that stuff is the stuff that makes you understand what it's like to be a human being. You know, I don't Mm. think, uh, you know... (sighs) But, right. the, but being a comedian, uh, maybe being an actor or whatever, a performer, you're kind of self-obsessed. I think that's the problem I have. I think I don't realize I'm thinking about myself all the time. I'm not like... Yeah. But that, I mean, you know. self-obsession, self-centeredness, like like when you're in the recovery world, like self-centeredness, they say, is the root of everything, you know? Yeah. Like uh, the root of all problems, really, you know? And I, I, it, it can be hard to break out of that sense because you're really in a world where it seems like it's okay to be that self-obsessed but i would totally agree with you with what you're saying you know you have these moments these flashes where you just go jesus i'd like i'm always thinking about myself Mm. i'm even on social media thinking about how my thoughts will appeal to other people it's almost like i can't remember the last time i had a thought that i didn't think about how other people would think about my thoughts you know like it's a weird thing to think about how everything relates back to you yeah but on the flip side of that, it helps you to be creative. But it's just you got to get the balance. But isn't that part of recovery is thinking about yourself as well? Like it's part well, actually, it's the opposite. Is you it? Know? Oh. It's supposed to be the opposite. I mean, you know, I'm not as like immersed in all that as I was. But like one of the things 
like I'm not religious either, but there's like this St. Francis prayer, you know, this this prayer about like uh, uh, where there is hatred, let me so love. So, you know, it's basically like trying to sort of counteract. Mm-hmm. And actually it's it, it says by it's by self forgetting that one finds. So it's actually about like sort of trying to be the opposite of self-centered and offering yourself to others and being, you know, in service. The Buddhists have it too. They have a, a Tonglen meditation. Yeah. This meditation that uh, you try to open yourself up to the suffering of the world to increase your ability to be compassionate mm. because they consider to be compassion one of the most important emotions. Mm. And through that understanding of other suffering, you get a better understanding of like who you are and what makes the world work, you know. So like actually it should be the opposite. A lot of people, because because of the sense, I guess, of like therapy, you know, the sense of delving into yourself mm-hmm. to heal the wounds that mm. actually you're thinking about yourself more. But I think what you're trying to do is free yourself of the, in that sense, you're trying to free yourself of the things that are holding you back. You know, because people mm. say, why do I keep these same behaviors? Why, you know, why do I keep making the same mistake? So in a way, some people think therapy might be able to free you. I, personally, I'm not sure. Sometimes I wonder, you know, are you better off? You know, just trying to... Well, actually, first of all, I think that actually we're cutting ourselves to think that we're going to figure a lot of this stuff out. I think a lot of it is actually more about action, you know? Yeah. It's about being responsible. It's yeah. about your behavior. You know, I think actually, you know, you have to get a balance between the sense of like delving into yourself, but also just like trying to be a good person. Mm, mm. I think a lot of times people forget that. A lot of this shit is just about being a good person. Well, yeah, but, you know, you don't really... I think as you get older, you, you, you see your behavior, you start looking at your... When you're younger, you don't... You think, oh, I'm a good person, I'm doing fine, I'm doing... But then as you get older, you start looking back on your behavior, or repeated behavior, and you go, fuck. You, I was totally unaw- You're totally unaware of the Completely, things you've yeah, been doing. Well, ignorance is bliss, man. Yeah, but but yeah, that's the great yeah. thing about getting older. I used to hear... Yeah. I, I remember when I first stopped... Actually, when I first moved to Dublin, so I guess I wasn't drinking two or three years. Mm. Uh, and I was looking for sort of, I was looking for like a more senior figure to sort of bounce things off when I was in Dublin, you know, like mm. like a sponsor, we would say. And uh, I asked this guy, kind of a, a wise a wise sage in the in recovery circles. Yeah. I said, were you? So we had to sit down in Simon's Cafe there on Georgia Street around yeah. the corner. And uh, he said to me, I gave him a couple of my problems. And he said... He says, you're just young. A lot of that stuff is just because you're young. And I remember getting really pissed off. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? The, like, what do, you, what do you mean? Because I'm just fucking young. Because at that time, I wanted everything to be related to like, that's, that's because, you know, your mother was this, your father was this. That's because, you know, like, th- this is what you need to do for that. You need to meditate that out. You need to go and do a fucking breathing workshop up yeah. in the hills of Wicklow. You know, like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I wanted everything to have a solution. Yeah, and he was yeah, just like, yeah. that's just because you're young. Like, at that time, I got so angry. But what I didn't realize was he was so smart. It's just like, yo, man, a lot of that shit's just going to sort itself out regardless. So just relax. Just like mm. be with it, you know? Right, yeah. Like yeah. if I had any regrets and I've got plenty of them, one of them would definitely be, fuck, man, I wish I was just aware of these moments when they were happening, you know? Mm. So I could have just, one, enjoyed them, and two, just not taken everything so goddamn seriously, you mm, know? Mm, mm. So that's just getting older. Yeah, know? it is, yeah. I mean, I've gone through therapy as well, but now I think therapy is a bit a bit like navel-gazing a bit. Well, I don't know. It has helped me in a way because I, I was getting panic attacks and stuff, and I was going, where are these coming from? And I think that therapy did sort that out. Yeah, no, I, you listen, know, I mean, but, I've gotten good stuff out of it, man, and, yeah. like, I've managed to... Like, does, yeah. I, like, I've managed to kind of see, uh, you know, certain behaviors in the way they carry on. Mm-hmm. It's helped me in some things. It hasn't helped me in others. I, I wouldn't criticize it. I guess basically what I mean is I just like, 
for a long time, and I think a lot of people do this, you see it in the way people talk about food too, people are looking for concrete solutions mm. to life, mm. you know? But I'm really more and more believing that life is completely random. There's no formula that's going to sort it out. It can go either way, and you have to just kind of like roll with it. There is no bloody solution. You yeah. know? And most of the solutions that I thought were concrete turned out to not be a, a solution at all. They, they turned out, I, I learned a bit from it, but it becomes meaningless later on. You know, mm. it's just like, I, I, I think we, we're all the time looking for concrete answers where there is none. Yeah, and as you say, actions are probably the, the thing. I really you know. think, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm more and more as I get older, I really think that life is all about your actions, taking responsibility for your actions and your mm. behavior and your relationships with other people. Mm. That's life. Mm. That's even God. I don't believe in God, but like, that's what I think. Mm. God, like it's how you relate to I mean some people would say yes and how you would relate to the environment yes yes possibly in the, in the mm. sense that they, we, there's consequences to how we relate to the environment but I think really more importantly in terms of like immediate how, you know our lives it's really our relationships with other human beings that's mm. the most important thing yeah 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 but I would also say like there's things that you have to face that you face the difficult thing that you need to do just you gotta do it you have to do it. Just but th do those it. would be some of the things where I think therapy helps because I'll give an example. There would be certain things where like when I'm faced with it, I just get so tense. I get so anxious. Mm. And it's, it's irrational. I'm not talking about gigs and stuff. That's rationally tense, you know? Yeah. I mean, just like small things and I just get real tense. And I know that that has come from sort of like a learned behavior that mm. from my childhood of just like, this is not a stressful situation. But, you know, I just, yeah. I have an immediate overreaction and I know that that comes from that. And like therapy has helped me. To, I'm not saying that I don't still get anxious where I'm not supposed to be anxious, but at least you know. You're aware why you're aware yeah, better, yeah. you know, and it helps. I mean, awareness doesn't always help, but it can help sometimes, you know, to, to counteract yeah. it. It's weird that you're, you're talking about all these uh, anxieties you have, and you've done the most amazing, like going off to China on your own. I mean, but I always say the big stuff to me, I, I, like, give me, a cri give me a real crisis, man. I will be the man. You know, ask mm. me to just like pay my bills and I'll crumble in a ball. Like the big stuff, yeah. the big stuff is no problem to me because those that that's what makes it, that's what I'm good at. I'm good at like disappearing into another life mm. and, and, and making something of it fast. I've had plenty of experience with that. So that's why I'm good at the China thing, the Irish language thing, you know, these immersion situations, put me in a situation and I'll, I'll make the best of it quick. You know, that's yeah. how I can do those things, you know? But I think there's there's positives and negatives with that, you know. So the anxiety I'm talking about is not with those types of things. All right, yeah. So you can. So when you went to China, did you go on your own? Were you on your own completely? Well, no. I mean, no. we're making the series. You're making so Pat so Coma got... was over. Yeah, some yeah. of the time. Yeah. Uh, okay. But, but but I was on my own a lot of the time. And you, and you're happy with that? You, 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 ever, you like... I I don't know, I don't know who I said this to, but I did say it to somebody recently, whether it was on air or not. That's mm. how bad my life is. It's like, what if I? <laughs> how much of my life is mine, and how much, have I shared, <laughs> how much have I shared with other people? You know, yeah, uh, yeah. is this is this an exclusive bit of my life to give to somebody else? Which is, does, <laughs> I mean, I'm kidding. Obviously, I'm not. Yeah, that, yeah. I'm not that self obsessed. Yeah. But uh, I remember I was in Beijing. I guess I, it was like it must have been April or May because I remember the weather was turning mm. and it was getting nice. Mm. Uh, and it must have been a clear day, you know, like a not pollution day. And I was cycling along Shui uh, uh, Nanlu, uh, the southern uh, southern study, uh, southern college road, mm. uh, a nice straight road with a huge cycle lane. And I was listening to uh, to Chinese hip hop on my headphones. Yeah. 
because uh, I was trying to listen to no English at all. So I'm cycling along, and I just remember going like, where am I? This is crazy, and I couldn't be happier. Like, it was the weirdest thing. I couldn't be happier with the fact that I just ended up in this completely random situation. Mm. And I loved the fact that I was happy with it, but I did immediately have a thought was, isn't there something wrong with the fact that you have left everything behind and you're totally cool with it? You know, I have yeah, to stop myself fair. sometimes when people go, I'm feeling a bit homesick. I have to stop myself from going, homesickness is bullshit. Because I actually don't get it, which I think is wrong. You know, you should miss your, you should miss your, your nest. You know, you should yeah. miss your safe place. But, you know, I don't. I never had that. I was two years in China. I never thought, like, I need to get back to my... Because I just, everywhere I go, just create a sense of mm. home or whatever, and I'm cool with that. Yeah. So it's positive. Like, I think that's good and bad. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I understand it. I haven't done what you've done, but I could be away. I say I was in America for two weeks and really enjoying myself walking around, say, Philadelphia on my own and just really enjoying it you know and yeah but anybody I know that has kids loves that for a different reason which is just like <laughs> fuck yeah <laughs> fuck yeah this is great you know just like yeah, answer, yeah. answering to nobody like ha reading the paper like uninterrupted I know, reading yeah, the paper yeah, having yeah, a coffee yeah. like I, I, I only got yeah. a hint of that this summer when I was with my brother's kids a lot and like they were mm. in the we have a summer house and we were in the summer house when they were there and then I would just get out for an hour and I'd be in town reading the paper on my own and I'd be like man this is awesome so I can mm. imagine there's elements of that but no I know what you're saying there's a bit of that as well but just hanging around on my own for a couple of three four days on my own and you know, just doing the gig going back to the hotel and just being quite happy yeah you know it's really weird yeah yeah, yeah. I, but I but I think you know uh, obviously I've, I've been with guys that like miss their kids like I'd be touring with Jason a lot you know I'd be out yeah. with Jason and he'd be like missing the kids, you know. And like, I, I don't get, I don't get that sense of like, I can't wait to be home. I cannot remember the last time I said, I just can't wait to get home. When people say mm -hmm. that, I'm always just like, whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. Like, I quite happily stay and all that, you know. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I get comfortable in a place really quick, and then I'm not like dying. I'm not dying to get back or anything. Right, okay. But I'm sure that'll come when I. I, I I'd, say, I'd say my dad had that too, and then that changed when he had a family, you know. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I guess, I guess it'll come back. I've just had that sort of. I've been in my twenties for. 20 years God, you're happy God <laughs> Jesus you're happy it's positives and negatives as I say <laughs> it's positives and negatives oh you know? no it's, you're, you're having a good life believe me <laughs> yeah. well jokingly because my friends always go I was like yeah man you know just like how do you admit this without sounding like an asshole but sometimes people say like eh, will you ever settle down I say I will settle down but I swear to God man the fucking options make it tough man <laughs> it does make it tough sometimes like you know you just it's you like in Goodfellas uh, Joe Pesci uh, when they call around to uh, what's his name's house it's actually Martin Scorsese's mother that says uh, when are you going to settle down find a nice girl settle down he goes hey I'm finding a nice girl every night I settle down every night <laughs> <laughs> that's the joke so, I make about Aiden but actually yeah I guess yeah, yeah. I'm trying not to anyway whatever we won't get too into that because like I made last week I was on talking to Catherine Thomas and yeah. I made like a joke about you know, the fact that I have a Chinese girlfriend. I, you know, she was saying, how's it going? I was like, I don't know. It's a long-distance relationship. I, you know, I thought it was over recently. It's very hard to know how it's mm. going to go. I was just being really honest about our situation, mm, right? Mm. So then she said, are you not worried about her listening? And I said, well, she doesn't speak English, so we can say whatever I want. I can say I've been with a girl every night this week. You know, like it doesn't matter what I say. <laughs> and then we just started joking about her not speaking Chinese but being an actress and trying to move to Ireland. And I was just making, I was just making jokes about her trying to do like the plow in the stars with her like broken English. It was just jokes. Yeah. Next day in the, in the paper, 
uh, oh, in the, not in the paper, but like Gas.ie, you know, these websites, they were like, Des Bishop makes crass comments about his girlfriend and says that I was say, and I was like, listen, if I can't make jokes about my own life, like, right, yeah. you want to say I'm being controversial about a person or some public figure, but if I can't make jokes about my own life without mm. you getting involved, mm. you know, oh, that's bullshit. That's it? really bad. Like, yeah. I think that's really bad. It's like, yeah. if I want to make a joke about the fact that I'm going out with a Chinese girl, you mm. know, without offending Chinese people, which it wasn't mm. offensive to Chinese people, mm. you know, like then just back the fuck off. I hear all that personal bullshit in the papers anyway. I mean, even if someone is having an affair, it's none of your business. Do you know what I mean? They, they, they oh, totally. Love rat or whatever. Oh, yeah, you know, totally. It's, it's none of your business. It's not one's business. Yeah, I know. Someone but that's the, that's the story. Like, the story will always be, like, a guy is a love rat. And I guess mm. women, you know, women are, like, the, mm. the women villain. I mean, there's loads of ways that women are sort of vilified. But mm. uh, the woman villain is, uh, is like, the, the money-grabbing, sort of celebrity-loving. Mm. You, know, you know, that's the story yeah, that'll yeah, get told yeah. for them or just, like, yeah. Or she's put on a few pounds. Oh, yeah, and unfortunately. It's all over the paper. It's all, yeah. But that's just, <laughs> that's silly. But people love that shit. I mean, yeah. I look at Instagram, I see these, like, all of a sudden there's Instagram celebrities for just good looking people who are just like giving bullshit life advice. Oh, God. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you don't know shit. But yeah. th- that's why that thing was fresh on my mind about how much I thought I knew when I was younger. Because mm. uh, I see a lot of people giving out the advice that I thought was like, Mm. the best advice ever when I was like 21 and I mm. see that coming out on Instagram as if it's like this great realization you know and my daughter watches some of that stuff on YouTube other young girls giving out advice <laughs> yeah yeah giving out advice about life and what matters yeah, and, yeah, yeah. but everything changes man I mean how we look is mm. I think how we look is more important than ever now because mm. everyone's thinking about how they look to other people because they're literally putting it up. they're taking photographs selfies and putting uh, yeah, making themselves look amazing making and then when you meet them a- they look ugly I think you're just talking about Tinder there man <laughs> <laughs> that was a that was a Tinder problem you're talking about there it's like wait a minute that's not the girl I swiped right on wait a minute uh, yeah but anyway I, I that, saw this girl one day in the airport and I was like she looked really kind of fed up and sad you know and she sat down and she had a coffee and then she took her phone out and she smiled and took a selfie <laughs> and then she went back to being sad you know it was just like she had a happy selfie that she put on Instagram. Yeah. Most of the time, she just looked really sad. Well, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a metaphor for life. Yeah. You know, the fact that we're putting out this other version of ourselves. Yeah. You know, yeah. you'd almost be embarrassed to put up a picture of you like a bit sad, just going, you know, I can't even say why, but I'm just fucking pissed off today. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like nobody's no. putting that up. And even if you did, everyone would be like, like chin that? up, you know, yeah. chin up, life's good, you know, this is just whatever. Oh. Like sometimes you're just in a bad fucking mood, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. We so, should put up like sadograms, you know, like more honesty. On the, well, on maybe it should be a new, instead of Facebook, just sad book or something like that. Yeah. You know? yeah. Just to get it, just to get the reality of life out there. Sad, Not that yeah. it's always sad either, mm. but just, well, in Facebook, in fairness about Facebook, I mean, I do feel Facebook's a little more our generation, which is kind of weird. But like, I feel like Facebook is aged. Yeah, <laughs> like like we're like Facebook people. But uh, Facebook does have a lot of people sharing their their troubles. Yeah, but isn't it a bit too much as well? I mean, there's a lot of people. You know, they say, "Oh, my my granny." I just found out, my, or you know, my granny died this morning or whatever. Putting it on Facebook, 
Get and then Sean, people liking it. it. Yeah. But yeah, but, but we get what the likes are. Yeah. I, I mean, I get that. I know people joke about that, but like, I do get that. It's just like, I'm supporting you. It's not like going, your granny's dead. Freaking yippee. You know? You know, we wait. I hope you get it. I hope you get an inheritance. <laughs> yeah. It's like, cha-ching. Yeah. If yeah. you could put a dollar sign up on there instead yeah, of a yeah, thumbs yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think, I think they're supporting you. But, uh, but it is. Yeah, but they are. But they're not people. They're not really your friends. I mean, I, I, you know, got loads of friends that I, they're not really my friends, mm. but I can read about their personal life. Yeah, you can they, read about That's the weird. Well, yeah. you know, mm. back in the early Facebook days, uh, I remember like everyone's trying to add me back then, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. But it was just normal Facebook. Facebook's evolved a lot since then. So mm. I just thought, you know, I'll add all these people because I can let them know about my gigs. You know, I kind of turned my, yeah. my personal Facebook page into like a promotions thing. Mm-hmm. Later on, the, the, the fan page or whatever they call that now, the business page came out, mm-hmm. right? It was a fan page when I added one. Yeah. And then I was, people were just able to just add themselves. I didn't have to accept them. That was like a separate thing. Mm. But I still have like 4,000 friends on my personal Facebook page from that original ad. And yeah. I've literally grown up with these people who were fans of mine like 10 years ago. Those 5,000, yeah. Yeah, but they have kids yeah. now. Like I, I, yeah. like I have seen so many people's lives. I have no idea who they are. They were just people that I added like literally nearly 10 years ago. Yeah. And now like I see that they, 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 I saw their marriage. I saw their first, second child, their divorces. I've seen everything. Yeah, you know, like that yeah. bastard, you know, we're in negative equity. I've seen them go through the recession. Like I've seen yeah. all these strangers' lives just like evolve out before yeah. me, which is both, well, I'll tell you, it's lovely on one level, but on another level, what saddens me a little bit is that everyone's pretty similar, which is kind of a little bit depressing. You know, like yeah. everyone thinks that their lives are quite unique, but because I happen to be looking at so many lives. Yeah, but so am I. So are we. But like, mm. because I'm looking at so many people's lives, you do see the huge similarities mm. between everybody. Mm. Uh, whether Facebook has actually caused an evolution where people have learned a way to present their situations, their weddings, their, their children, their new dog, their, their nice dog holidays. dying, their nice holidays. Whether, <laughs> whether we have actually sort of slowly yeah. started to all take the same picture or not, mm. there is striking similarities. Yeah. Which, but I, I, I don't think we're meant to have ha- had exposure to this many people's lives. No, you're not. And, and the weird thing about it is uh, you ever get that thing where you've had a relationship 20 years ago and she's got married and had kids and got divorced. And then she gets back in contact. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That kind of thing. Maybe it would have worked out. Maybe it would have worked stay out. Together kind of thing. Well, I think that I think that I think that Facebook and Instagram has turned us on to wedding photographers. In that, yeah. if you're a wedding photographer, the magic of a wedding disappears. It's like the same thing over and over. Like even if it's reportage, you know, the supposedly natural one. Essentially, that photographer has taken 150 to 200 wedding reportages, so he actually knows the moment. So you might as well be posing because he knows it's going to happen. He or she, and then click, he's got it. So there's that like walking into the limo moment. You know, there's that like doing mm. the makeup moment, which is supposed to be completely natural, but they've taken it so many. <laughs> It's like they're just waiting for that moment. It's like the sister's going to lean in and, and I got it, right? Yeah, so like yeah. the magic of a wedding disappears. And I think that's what's happening with Facebook is like the magic of life is disappearing because everyone, it's really similar. Well, the magic of life is disappearing because people aren't experiencing life because they're too busy taking fucking selfies or videoing. You know, when you're on holidays and you see, you go in, you, you, you go into a beautiful building, you need to look at it. But a lot of people aren't even looking at it. They're looking at it through a video yeah, well, or a phone or something. And you're like, well, it's funny. That is, yeah. I totally agree with that. And yeah. I remember years ago, one of my therapy stints, mm. uh, you know, I, the therapist challenged me. He said, like, well, you know, you're a performer. He says, like, 
you're always thinking about how you're going to let other people know about what you're going through. Mm. You know, he said, did you ever think you need to just be with what you're experiencing sometimes rather Mm. than thinking about how this relates to others? And on a deep level, it wasn't about performance. It's just the way I've always been. It's kind of my personality. Mm. But on another level, I was like, yeah, you know, you're right. You know, let's take, let's take, let's try to lower the toxicity level of, of, of the dark side of my personality a smidge by mm. trying to do that. But I was thinking like, that's a stress for people like me. But I do think that because of the way that social media has evolved, a lot more people have that stress now than perhaps had it before. Mm. Like I think it's made performers into people that probably wouldn't have been performers because it's just a different type of performance, isn't it? And it's mm. a lot more accessible, this mm. sense of putting your life on a screen. Mm. So I do think that it is unfortunate in a way because I, I have it myself. I get to a place and I just think, oh, fuck, I got to Like everyone has to know. And, and that's a different feeling to going, wow, this is amazing. It's actually going, mm. wow, everybody has to see this. Mm. So you don't. Like, you did don't, you ever did you feel that about doing that show for your father? Because it's a kind of a private thing. Your father's dying, and then well, yeah, it becomes I mean, that, a show and a book and a documentary. Mm, it's hard to know. I mean, I had a lot of thoughts about that at that time. You know? Yeah, yeah. But on one level, it was just a bit natural because it was all just happening, and it's mm. just like what I did. So mm, I don't mm. overthink it, you mm, know. Mm. But because my father loved it so much, it 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 doesn't require that much thought yeah. because, like, still to this day, even my mother, who's not as like public as my father just talks about how amazing all that was. So because it was the right thing to do, so to speak, mm. you know, there are elements where you go, why did you share all that so publicly? But it just, don't ask me why, it just seemed to be the thing to do at the time. I mm. guess part of the problem was I had been thinking about this show about my father for so long, well before he got sick. Oh, okay. This, telling the story of my dad nearly being James Bond and the acting and the, the abuse but I wanted it to be like a play, like a one-man play rather than like a stand-up show. Yeah. You know, the sort of funniness of the father-son relationship and then contrast it with this revelation that my father had this horrible life. You know, mm. just trying to – Owen O'Neill type. You know, like that yeah, – I, I yeah. was trying to do like an Owen O'Neill type, like really like, you know. But I could never, I could never figure out how to marry the two. Mm. And because when he got sick and he started being funny – and I, I, I remember I had a couple of shows. It was he got sick in no, uh, November '09, but in February 2010, I was back in Ireland doing some shows because I had been back in New York helping out. And one of them was a charity gig that I think Ed Byrne organized because I remember Ed Byrne was there in Vicker Street. Mm. And another one was the ESB. I, I was doing a final gig for the ESB. I was doing this project with the the ESB at the time to get people to save money. They were trying mm. to use the recession as a way to actually get people to stop using as much electricity as they okay. do. So they were saying, all right, fears about the environment are not working. So let's get people fears about their pocket. Actually, we'll get people to start lowering their energy use. Anyway, those two gigs, I just started telling a few stories about my dad and what was going on, but they were kind of mm. like his stories, you know, mm. that he was being funny about being sick. So it just got an energy. Mm. And then all of a sudden it was just like my, the, the, the thing that my dad was in a James Bond thing, it all makes sense now, you know? So the problem was that it was just like a light bulb that took an energy. So I never mm. had time to think, should I or should I not be, be sharing this? Mm. And it all just happened. But afterwards, when it was all done, and I kept touring afterwards, you know, with the same show after my dad had died, after he died I yeah. did eventually have a realization of like, oh, shit, man, you need to like be with this you're not this cold you know what i was telling you about before about homesickness and not understanding mm. you know it's like other people talk about the horror of losing a parent and i just kept thinking like what it's whatever 
So I knew that like at some stage I was going to have to like get slow, you know, stop and just be a bit more realistic. So I did delay the next tour and just kind of like take it in a little bit for myself. Right. When yeah. it was all done, like when the book was written and all that stuff. And how did they, like so? You mean even grieving? Did that was that delayed? Oh, it was definitely delayed. Yeah, yeah. I was carrying my father around in a fucking backpack on my computer. You know what I yeah. mean? Like I was putting those slides up on the screen every night, and he's walking out on stage with me every night. So like he wasn't dead. Yeah, right, yeah you know, yeah. for me, he wasn't dead. To be honest, still to this day, I, 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 I don't think I, I don't think I ever really said goodbye. I just kind of like that time came and went. But it's weird for me because I lived away from home for more of my life than mm. I was there. Mm. So actually, I don't have the same, I don't have the same like moments like everybody else in my family had of, here's that place, here's that place. Because mm. actually, the majority of my memories are my memories in Ireland, which they're not a part of. So mm. in a way, I guess there was a little bit of uh, not ha- not having the same intensity. Mm. But but I mean, I, you know, I took my time and I did my. I did my grieving, but it, it happened to me the way that it happened. I, I, you know, I don't know. Like, all I know is that I do not regret making that documentary because I still look back on it every now and then. And I, I wouldn't change, like, I wouldn't change a beat of it. And you know, he, and it is real personal, but he's just great in it. And he fucking loved it. And he loved it. And that's the most important I mean, he thing, loved really. it, man. Yeah, I mean, it was yeah. all about that at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the reconciliation. Or was it? Well, I don't know if it was a reconciliation, but certainly you. Yeah, the reconciliation yeah. happened years before, yeah, yeah, but I yeah. think it was it was celebra- I think it's a celebration. Yeah, know? yeah. But yeah. fathers really appreciate it. Yeah. You know, I had a couple of times. I mean, like loads of people messaged me, and it was great you know, about the documentary. But yeah. there was one that kills me. I find it hard to even tell the story without like getting a little choked up. Yeah. And I, just to add to it for a bit of, I was actually I had a short. I was dating a a, a well known Irish person at the time. Mm-hmm. I won't say who, mm-hmm. but we were walking on Dunleary Pier. And I just finished the walk, and this I noticed a father playing with his daughter. Mm. I guess she was four, maybe three, four. Mm-hmm. She was just bouncing from rock to rock, and he was just watching her. Mm. And fathers and their kids was really killing me at that time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you know, it was just like, because it just means more all of a sudden, you mm. know, how much a child means to a father, right? And I do think there's something special about that father. You know, if a father gets his gets one kid on their own and they're just able to have that time mm. I think dads love that you know absolutely that's like a real like fuck you know it's just us mm. you know mm. now I can really let you know how much I love it you know, you know it's just a certain vibe yeah, I think a amazing. father and, and a kid mm. so I, I had I had noticed it and I was already getting a bit teary and then the guy saw me and he comes up and he goes man I, I just want to say that you know that thing you did with your dad it was just it meant so much to me because he said you know sometimes he said the thing that you said earlier. He said sometimes, you know, like I, fucking kids and the stress, and I just think is it worth it? And after I saw that, I just knew that was worth it. <laughs> Fuck me! I mean, it killed me. It still kills me today, you know. So, yeah. so that's why I know it was, it was worth it to do the documentary because I think dads. See, I'm not a dad. I'm just the son of the guy. Mm. So I was trying to tell the story of my dad. Mm. So in a way, I think other people see it differently to me because I still haven't had that experience. But I think. It gives it's a bit of relief. I don't think it lasts forever, but I think it gives dads a bit of relief to go. This is what matters. This is mm. what it's about. The one thing about when you when you become a dad, you don't really think about it. I suppose at first when you're having children, but you start thinking, um, I don't want to, I don't want to die because I would leave my children alone. You're not. You'd, it's not about yourself. Mm. 
I want to, you know what I mean? You can't go, I just want to keep alive until they're about 18. Then I can die. Then you, you know can what I mean? die, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I get that stuff to... is like innate, you know, yeah. just like the way it changes and the way that you, you know, the way that you want to protect your kids. Yeah. But I, like I say, I can only say it from the sort of like a, I think I'm a good observer rather than any uh, experience. Yeah. Well, it's amazing what you did for your dad. It's yeah. brilliant. But I was surprised too about, like I never thought, I, he was smarter than I thought actually. Mm. I sort of, I, under, I underestimated him. Uh, and, and he was more like, uh, like he had a much greater awareness of like life than I thought that he had. Possibly mm. just hadn't had a chance to share it. But some of the things he said backstage, but I think like me, he was at his sharpest when he was performing. Like I always think, like I'm not even great at writing jokes, but man, you put me on stage, and I like I I will come up with things I never could have imagined I would come up with. So yeah. I think maybe because he was performing, he said some amazing things. But mm. like that thing he said about uh, when you have children, you realize it's not your life; it's their life. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Like when he said that, and then he was funny about it too. Like you know, oh, and he said if if you if you if you if you if you know that you have a shot. If you don't. They'll never forget. That's right. Yeah, yeah children yeah. and elephants. They're two of a kind. But, yeah. uh, you know, the fact that he was just, like, aware of, like, what, you know, that that matters. And, mm. you know, that in the end, you know. See, it was worth it for him in the end. Like, all the sacrifice was all worth it. Because in the yeah. end, he's dying, but he knows that everybody's around him. Yeah, yeah, So all yeah. his regrets kind of faded them. away. It's had like, a great relationship, I could see. I saw that bit where you made him watch two ladies in a cup. Which is just unbelievable. <laughs> uh, uh, what is it? Two. What is it called? Two women in two, two women, women in a cup or in a cup? All right, with a cup. Everyone yeah, knows. Yeah, it. How can I forget that? I've never looked at it. Oh, you've never looked no, at because it because I. Well, it was the thing at the time. I, you know, we went to our two. Two. You know, two I women wouldn't. I wouldn't look at it because I thought it must be awful. <laughs> I just don't want that image in my head. But you made your dad look at it. And it's he, pretty funny. He doesn't though. want to look. His and he reaction goes, no, is, you got to keep looking. His reaction <laughs> is pretty good. I watched a lot of those reaction videos. Yeah, I thought my yeah. father's was pretty good. But we were a bit late to the party. Yeah. You know, had it been a year earlier, I'd say we could have got a good, you know, like, but, uh, oh, come on, man. He's like holding his heart like he's going to have a heart attack. Ah, oh, come on, man. Oh, no. Oh, oh no. No. <laughs> <laughs> Two women in one cup. Yeah, it's very hard to find that video now. Not not the one really? of my dad, but the actual video of the the cup and the ladies. Yeah, yeah. the cup and the ladies. Okay. But it's a tough watch. I know. I don't want to watch it. But it was funny at the time. You know, it was. A f mm. I mean, I don't regret doing that either. That was funny. No, that was hilarious. My cousin Kevin there, Uncle Mike, watching two women in one cup. Two girls. Oh, two girls in one cup. <laughs> That's what it That's, is. Yeah. Right? And uh, uh, yeah, it was mm. funny. Yeah, it was funny actually. Uh, oh. I think about three or four months ago, I was doing this uh, film, and it was a Chinese girl uh, doing work, she doing work experience or something on the film, and uh, I was talking to her about you. And I was going, "You have heard of Des Bishop? He was on TV in China, blah, blah. and uh, she hadn't heard of you." But then I found you. You've got a Chinese name, right? Yeah, Bi Hanzhong. Bi Hanzhong. Mm. And uh, when I showed her that, she was. She knew really? who you were, yeah. Oh, she knew the name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that like guy. A, oh, he's really famous. Well, I'm not famous. That's an exaggeration. Yeah? But, I mean, you know, I made a little, I, I made a bit of a name for myself in my time in China. But I am definitely not famous. But mm -hmm. I think because if she was living in Ireland, she might have become aware. She may have been sort of almost talking. Nah, about, because she didn't know your Des Bishop name. She knew your Chinese name. Yeah, I know. But what I mean mm. is that the Chinese Irish have probably done a fair bit of sort of sending my stuff around that I did in Chinese. But uh -huh. I, I mean, I'm not famous in China. You know, mm. I've had, 
I've had you've probably only got about five million fans. In yeah, I mean, like, listen, a really small percentage. <laughs> but I had a good time. I mean, it was fun. I mean, it was fun to go from not being able to speak Chinese to literally being like in the you know like a performer that people respected because literally there was just like no experience with stand-up yeah. so in my crappy chinese i was doing good shows mm. and the, the luckiest famous moment i had with china was in february i was doing a run in march i was doing a run of shows in new york mm. so uh, the china show mm. and the new york times were doing a piece about me going from Flushing to Ireland to China and now all the way back to Flushing, Queens, which is now completely Chinese in the meantime. And mm. I've come back to Flushing with my experience of China. Mm. So we're walking around Flushing Main Street with the New York Times guy and the New York Times photographer. And this guy, random Chinese guy, I don't know where he's like, hey, you're that comedian. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I thought he saw like one of the dating shows because they were like the big shows that I did but he was like no just last week I saw you did the Chui Yong Yuan I saw you did the the Xiao Chui yeah. show yeah, yeah. and uh, I was like oh you saw this he's like ah oh, very funny and the, but the New York Times guy was there scribbling away so that was like oh, a, cool. that was like a big moment but cool. the, it was just like that's the that's yeah. as far as it goes and in China is there, a, is there a lot of censorship on what you can do live is there like oh yeah there's yeah. loads so but you know what, what you gotta I heard you gotta even show them what you're gonna do or mm-hmm. something you gotta do all that but we don't mm. most of the time because it's just small enough shows that nobody mm. cares mm. but for the big show but like of course there's ways around that too like there's guys that are good at it there's companies that can help you do the application yeah so then they just tell you what to say and you write it down and then you hope mm. that they don't show up and the majority of the time they don't show up you know, mm. so really, it's it's more dramatic. It sounds more dramatic than it is. But mm. once you're on TV, like there's loads that you can't say, yeah. loads, loads. But honestly, I have to be honest that I didn't get to a level where that was a big issue. Mm. But it was the issue that made me realize that, you know, my time in China as a as a in terms of like trying to develop this Chinese career is over because mm. I got to a level where it was really fun, and I knew that the next level would have been success quote-unquote success Mm. and the success did not look attractive like even if i had achieved it it wasn't very attractive crappy tv shows Mm. chinese production companies the way people treat you like it's all terrible yeah it's not fun it's not creative it's horrible you know it's like even change how you look i mean on that show your hair was oh yeah well that that was there i left the dyed hair was my thing, but uh, the the hairstyle he gave I could have changed. It. I left it because it was funny. Yeah, yeah. I I I left the hair the way it was because I knew it'd be funny back. Because I was still thinking that when I was doing that show, I was still thinking about how it was going to look on RT. But later mm. on, my second year, none of it was going on RT, so I was just trying to, you know, be mm. funny or just trying to get work in mm. China. Uh, and it was fun and everything, but yeah, no. I mean, like there's a guy there called Huang Xi Joe Wang, and he he got famous in the states, and now he's doing well in China in Chinese. But he got famous in the States in English, doing comedy in English. And he's mm. very funny. Mm. But, you know, I look at how hard, you know, I look at the, what he has to do to, to, to make a living. And it, it's not very attractive, you know. In what, what sense? Horrible TV shows. Yeah. Dealing with horrible Chinese producers. And also just mm. all the stuff that goes with cultivating Chinese relationships. Mm. Very complicated, man. A lot of social, resp- like a lot of like having to be responsible for meeting people and it's it's not very attractive mm. like 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 my girlfriend was here for two and a half weeks and she's been involved in performance in china and i was just saying to her like 
how different is this like the electric picnic we're all just there we do our show you know mm. like there's no great like sense of like everyone's responsibility to each other you know it's like it's fun we do good shows we have a nice time it's just so much more relaxed and fun mm. and creative and she was like yeah there's just no comparison like mm. China is just too complicated and in China they take the fun in everything yeah yeah unfortunately like I had so much fun in China but I knew the next level was when the fun ceases yeah you know and are they aware uh, in general of what happens, say, in Tiananmen Square and all that? I mean, is that something that everyone in China is aware that happened or is that me- has the media black- well, blocked that out? Or? There's two parts to that. Yeah. One is we are overly aware of what happened in Tiananmen in that that's yeah. like the sort of image that's embedded in our brain, which yeah. is important because, you know, it was a horrible thing that happened and it's good that we all know it. Yeah. But on the flip side... Its relevance to China today has, has, has diminished to a degree. That aside, uh, the Chinese government obviously completely censors any stories related to Tiananmen, yeah. like June the 4th, 1989. Mm. Uh, they call it the June the 4th incident, like officially that's what it's called. Mm. And, uh, you know, but most people know. I, I, I see a lot of Western journalists who love the story of Chinese censorship and they like to tell the story of how People don't know, but mm. I, I met nobody who didn't know. Right, yeah. And I love, I have a VPN on my phone. I used to love showing them. That was like my, that was like my hobby. I'd whip the VPN on yeah. and then I'd be like, you know about this, right? And they'd be like, oh, I haven't seen, you know, I haven't seen a lot of the images, but they know all about it, yeah. you know? But they don't, they don't know. I remember one girl, actually the girl who I met on the dating show, mm. who's not my girlfriend, although according to Gastarai, she is my girlfriend. I didn't even know her name. They named her. Yeah. She's my girlfriend, according to Gastarai. And they named her. I didn't even know her bloody name. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And uh, they wrote a whole story about how I met my girlfriend on my. Yeah, I I, I met my girlfriend on the dating show. And it's like, no, I I actually only met her once afterwards, and she took me to a Lexus dealership. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, that's the truth. But. but she grew up in Beijing University. Her parents worked in Beijing University. And like a lot of people died from from Beijing University. Mm. And uh, so I asked her, I was like, do you remember? She was old. She was over. I didn't meet a lot of women over thirty because they're mostly married in China. Mm. But she was over thirty, so she was alive then. And uh, I said, "Do you remember that?" She said, "I remember a bit, but you know, vaguely, just how everything changed around the university." Mm. And uh, but then she said, "Yeah." And my uncle told me about all the soldiers that were killed in Wukasong in just like a different area because that was another like standoff. Like it was a much broader event than we even mm. realized. It was mm. just loads of shit went down, and actually. The majority of people that died were actually just like locals as opposed to students and just stuff like that that, you know, you don't realize until you look into it a bit more. But that, that's not a great conspiracy. But she was just like, yeah, my uncle told me about all the soldiers that were killed in Wukasong, you know. And I was like, oh, right, yeah. So e- even the way that the story is sort of told to them is much more like it was a great tragedy for the government and these people, the way they rose up. Mm. But the majority of people I encountered, like I remember this one girl I had a brief uh, relationship with in my first year in China. Mm. And... Her father was uh, due to go on a scholarship to, I can't remember where, amazing, ama- a big American university. Mm. And it, it was canceled because of Tiananmen. Like nobody was allowed to leave. Mm. So his life was like changed forever. Like he, he, mm. never, he never went to the States. Like he, yeah. he's a successful guy, but he would have went to the States. God knows what would have happened, but it was changed because of Tiananmen. Mm. And, and she was very aware of it. Like most people mm. are quite you know aware of it, but they would never turn around and be like, yeah, it was awful what the government did. They would really believe that, like, that this is actually true. Here's the crazy thing. The Communist Party would not exist today if they hadn't done that. That would be my opinion. That was basically, like, the front line for 
the future of Sorry, the one. If they hadn't done what? If they hadn't the horrible thing that they did. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I yeah, think yeah, that's yeah. the decision that they made. It's like yeah. this is for the survival of our party, mm-hmm. you know. And it was like around the time of, you know, the 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 Iron Curtain dropping. So it was really like, do we want this? And they that was the horrible decision that they made. And oddly enough, we would think that it was a terrible tragedy. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of Chinese people think for the state the size of China to exist like it does now, mm. these are the things that our government does. Not so much for us, because that makes it sound like they're completely brainwashed, which they are. But like they wouldn't say that's what they do for us. But they just really believe that, you know, at at, at its heart, the protection of the Chinese state is good for them, mm. you know, which, of course... But we don't believe. I definitely don't believe. I definitely yeah. don't agree. And I think it's an awful pity that China is, even though they've developed so much since like the opening up, that mm. it's still the way that it is. But that's just the nature. Well, of in Chinese history, though, what happened in Tiananmen is a small thing. Can, small can, things, nightmare. It's millions. All, it's all depression. Killed and died. <laughs> yeah, of and Mao Zedong did a horrible <laughs> thing. Listen, man, yeah. all that stuff is really come, but it's super mm. interesting. Like not for now, mm. but like. It just Chinese history is super interesting, man. Mm. And like we, here's the other thing that I really learned from my time in China. The experience of China and their value system is completely different to ours. Like a lot of mm. the values are the same, but it comes from a completely different place. It's evolved in a completely different way. We mm. have like Judeo-Christian value system. We don't even realize that. You know, mm. that like a lot of our values come from like, you know, two strains of religion that are from like, the you know, mm. the same place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how that's evolved into our so-called morality. Like Chinese morality is completely different. You know, it had very little interaction with the West. A lot of it comes from Confucius. It comes from other religions. Yeah. And it has evolved in a completely different way. You know, how, fe- a feudal system, a feudal yeah. system lasted there for, for, for a lot longer. Mm. Uh, you know, just and so... We can forget sometimes that like what we believe as right is not written in stone. Chinese mm. people believe what is right in their own way. And mm. so they just feel, I guess, I mean, I, I disagree, but they feel that it's funny that, you know, like Western ways of thinking are perceived to be the enlightened kind. Yeah. And Eastern ways of thinking, are, you know, are somehow not, you know. So it's just interesting to realize that they don't they didn't have the enlightenment. You know, like like I, I, I when I studied the enlightenment. I never thought about its importance in terms of how we are today until I went to China. And I just went, wow, we never had the enlightenment, you know, a sense of liberal values that we, you know, like mm. a sense of liberal values that we consider to be the cornerstone of what makes the West great mm. didn't happen in China. It's not part of their history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's yeah, no yeah. enlightenment. There's yeah. no renaissance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. there's none of these things that, that happened so long ago, but actually have affected what, how we became who we are in Western society, mm. that shit means nothing to them. So mm. it's interesting that their evolution has been, you know, quite different. Now fa- is family a big thing for Family's them? Family's huge. Yeah, yeah. Huge. Yeah, and yeah, obviously, yeah. Uh, filial piety, Xiaoshun. Xiaoshun is like their biggest thing, you know, honoring your elders and honoring oh. your parents. Mm. And, and all that stuff is really deeply embedded in, in Asian culture, not so just Chinese culture. there's no like culture. young person's revolution that's ever happened, like teenage revolution, that kind of thing. No, yeah. Well, I mean, Tiananmen was a young people one, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but but not to the same extent. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Chinese young people now are looking for freedoms. They're aware mm-hmm. that, you know, like, uh, there are, there are modern young Chinese people are, 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 are worldly mm. uh, people. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're definitely consumer, you know, they're from a consumer generation or, you know, they're much more like us than their predecessors. But at the same time, they, they got to that place, I guess, in, in a different way. But I think the world has just become more homogenized. That's just more about the fact that the world has become more homogenized than anything else. But certainly, uh, Xiaoxun, 
uh, honoring your parents is is huge mm. huge for them and uh, also their relationship with authority is very different it's more than just like one of the reasons why I think the one party state still exists mm. is because there's a greater history of uh, respecting authority and order you know like mm. societal order in Asian culture but definitely in Chinese culture than, mm. than there was in the West mm-hmm. so yeah. Right, and now you're are you opening a Chinese comedy club in Flushing, in Flushing, Falajan. which is just not English speaking. No, is that what you're so saying? yeah, it's not English speaking. Yeah, I, I'm doing two nights. So I'm doing an English language night too, but I want oh, that. Right. I want that. I want to try to get like, a, you know, a good English language comedy night, but for Flushing people, which I'm hoping will be multicultural, because Flushing is very mm. Chinese, yeah. also Korean, and then like people like me that grew up there. Uh, and haven't left, so to speak. So there's uh, not as, the Italian Americans have moved out and stuff, and it's like most Irish, most yeah, of yeah. them are uh, most of them are uh, are gone. Yeah, there's a yeah, few, yeah, but yeah. it's in a it's a Chinese neighborhood now. Yeah. You know, like we're yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. we're in a minority, and that's fine because the food is a lot better than it used to be. <laughs> yeah, but uh, like I mean, to be honest, Flushing Main Street is Chinatown now. I mean, it's it's a tourist destination. It's quite uh, it's hard to believe. Like when I was right. a kid, like when I was a teenager. And I'd say, like, I'm flushing. I'm like, flushing? I've never been there. Where's flushing? You know? Mm. Now I say flushing. It's like, oh, my God, I love going there and eating food. And all these Brooklyn people, all these super hipsters, like, yeah, I go to, I go to Main Street sometimes and I yeah. eat food. You know? So it's like it has changed. So basically what yeah. I'm trying to do is tap into the fact that flushing is now this other place and is yeah. a comedy club. So we're going to be doing food. Like, we're going to be doing Chinese food mm. and tea and also beer. And, and the show will hopefully have a unique flushing feel in English. But then the Chinese language one is just a Chinese language show. You know, there's probably a hundred thousand Chinese people living in and around the flush. Like there's mm-hmm. like Cork City v- worth of Chinese people there, yeah. in and around Flushing. Mm. So it's kind of, you know, when I think of like city limits and how well it did, I think there's enough of a population yeah, yeah, yeah. in Flushing to to run a, a a night once a month. Yeah, well, I'm dying to get over there. I'll have to get over. I was over there uh, a few months ago and actually interviewed that guy who. Um, did the radio show with you? He's a taxi. He's a cab driver. What's his name? He's quite. A, he's quite a, a Republican fellow as well. As in, not American Republican, IRA Republican. <laughs> oh yeah, a lot of them are. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. What's that guy's name? I forgot. It. I just his name has just gone out of my head just now. But I. I, I, um, God, so I d- it doesn't matter. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Oh, a lot of the he, Irish Americans are very Republican. He's funny. He's gone like uh, the Sinn Fein thing. What they they've screwed the whole country. You know, they sold out. Now they're trying to take tourists from Ireland up to Northern Ireland. What the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, we had a very simple. Yeah, I, I, I love doing gigs in the north, you know, because I can really talk about like yeah. my upbringing and all that stuff without being judged, you know, like because, yeah. you know, like Irish American, it, it was a, it's a different understanding. But it's yeah. interesting because like I never talk about it here so much because people have very sort of like concrete views about how they feel about the north you know which is absolutely fine yeah. but I just think it's really interesting because I've experienced both like I've experienced the Irish American like some mm. people would say kind of idealistic one mm. and then I've experienced the one here which you know some would say is like uh, you know overly dismissive of the north as an issue being a southern issue as well you know mm-hmm. so like there's just like so many sides to it but I just love the way that people people here think that like the way that Irish people in the South perceive the North is the correct way. Mm. And the way that like Northern Republicans perceive the North and Irish Americans perceive the North and even how British people perceive the North is the wrong way. Like as mm. if the Southern experience is the ultimate experience of how to experience yeah, we Northern. We know that should be right. So yeah. I, but I don't it's, talk about it here because it's yeah. like an argument I don't want to get into. Yeah. But I do find it really interesting because the North is still such a huge thing, but people just are so dismissive mm. of it here. 
I was Which, talking to a guy from Derry who said he said he brought a load of the Republican uh, newspapers over to uh, New York because the Sinn Féin paper is it on Fublook or whatever yeah. they they keep all stuff about Cuba out of it the ones they sell in America there's no socialist kind of Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because the Americans aren't into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, man. Get rid of the English, but we don't want no, we don't want no fucking public health care, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Yeah, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he brought a load of them over and replaced them in some bar, and all these Irish cops are going, what the fuck is this? (laughs) Oh, oh, with their socialism stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, that, that, though, that, that would be a funny documentary talking to Irish Americans because they they have a very simplified view of of the North. You know yeah. they don't quite get it. But mm. I think the immigrant I think the immigrant experience there's a lot of that. Like I think you find if you talk to like second generation Chinese people, mm. they'd have very interesting views about China too. Sort of like you know rose tinted glasses or real hatred, yeah, yeah, or a hatred, absolute hatred for Mao Zedong because of what he did to China. Mm. Same with mm. Cubans and Cuba. So and that that's Fidel just Castro, yeah. yeah, immigration is complicated. Mm. Anyway, I think we I got I got a, you, I got a, I got a, a signal from your producer. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've gone way. Yeah, it's been a long one. So, oh my God, it's twenty. Yeah. You'll have to he'll have uh, to edit. He's going like that because he's going. This is going to have to be edited. Yeah. Okay. Listen. Thanks a lot for coming in. Dave. Oh, thanks, thanks for having me, Joe. Thank, thank, you, thank you. Thank you. Well, yeah, that was great, Des Bishop, and thank you, Des, for coming in. That was a great chat, and it was great to reminisce about the old days in the international bar. So, um, yeah, listen, this is sponsored by Corners and Corners. Only your con- only excuse me, only four corners in your room. Come to Corners and Corners for more corners and better value. That's Corners and Corners, just around the corner. I'd like to thank Andrew Mangan for producing, my son Daniel Rooney for the music, not all the music, some of the music, and uh, Castaway Media for hosting the podcast. In the next couple of weeks, and perhaps tonight, well, definitely on the 17th of September, I'm in the Spiegel Tent in Jack, in Jack Lukeman. No, I'm in the Spiegel Tent with Jack Lukeman. On the 25th, I'm in Nall in the Arts Centre. On the 26th, I'm in City Limits in Cork. And on the 28th, I'm in the International Bar with the Dublin Comedy Improv. And on the 29th, the Empire in Belfast. In October, on the 1st, 2nd and 3rd, I'm in the International Bar Dublin doing my stand-up. And on the 6th of October, I'm in the Black Sheep in Brussels. So do come along if you can and you will be highly entertained. Okay, see ya. Next week we have uh, Colin Morrigan. Bye. This was a Castaway Media production. Find us on Twitter at Castaway Media or on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Castaway Podcasts. Listen, if you're always running to the bathroom and sometimes just can't make it, we need to talk. You're not alone. I was just like you until I spoke to an expert physician about Axonix therapy. It changed everything. It didn't just give me bladder control. It gave me my life back. Axonix therapy is not another drug. It's just a tiny device you barely have to think about, and it can give you real, lasting relief. You can even try it out first to make sure it works for you. Just take the first step. Get started at findrealrelief.com. That's findrealrelief.com. It's time to get your life back. 
Consult a bladder specialist to find out if Axonix is right for you. Results and experiences may vary. Risks can result from Axonix therapy that may require surgical intervention. Available by prescription only. For more information about safety and potential risks, go to findrealrelief.com.